and welcome to a very special live edition of our Jackson Home. I, uh, we are live at Union University in the Grant, Carl Grant Event Center. We are doing an uh, entrepreneurship panel with Jackson Young Professionals uh, through the Jackson Chamber. And I have three uh, great guests with me this morning. And so uh, if you could really quickly say your name and what your business is and just like two lines about what that is. So, Katie. Test, test. Okay. I'm going to make sure it works. Um, I'm Katie Nikki. I'm the owner at Pure Bar here in Jackson. It is a women's fitness studio. We offer classes that um, work strength and flexibility, um, so cardio aspects, and we're open every day of the week. We have a great group of clients who've been open since June 1st, 2016. Hi, my name is Ben Hayes. Um, I own Gourmet Your Way. We're a corporate catering service. Uh, we focus in all the areas in West Tennessee and a little bit in Mississippi as well. I am Lisa Garner, and I am the owner of Garner Blue, which is a line of hand-dyed indigo textiles and accessories, much like what I'm wearing, um, to wear and then also to decorate at home. Okay, so let's start the burning question that I know everybody wants to know. Lisa, why blue? Why blue? Yes, indigo is blue. A lot of people are like, what's indigo? Um, it is the same dye that's used in your denim. So blue is, well, it's a beautiful color, first of all. Uh, second of all, it's one that we're all familiar with. We wear denim all the time. It's comfortable. It's something that's easy to accessorize with. Um, and then when it comes to actually dyeing with it, of the natural dyes, it's one of the easier dyes to use. Indigo is plant-based. It actually grows really well in the south. I don't grow it. I just get it and make a really cool vat with it and dip all sorts of things in it. So that's why blue. Well, but, like, can you share really quickly how you got started doing that? Because I think that's important. Yeah. So I actually started um, to learn about the dyeing process for a retreat that a friend and I planned. It was a weekend thing that we were doing. We were going to teach different craft methods. And so dyeing with indigo was one of them. We just thought that looked interesting and, like, something that we could teach people in a couple of hours. So I learned about it to teach that group. And then really after that weekend, just thought, this is a really fun process and I want to keep doing it. So that's been about four years ago. Um, normally with creative things, I kind of like learn a technique and then move on. I get bored, but this has kept my interest for a while. So, um, yeah. And Ben, you have kind of a, a unique way that you got into catering, or should I say, uh, helped your wife with catering. Yeah. Well, um, a lot of entrepreneurs have you know, grand business plans, and they put a lot of forethought into their business that they're going to start up. Uh, me, I, I did it the easy way. I got laid off from a uh, pharmaceutical <laughs> job, and um, my wife was a stay-at-home, well, no, let me back up. My wife was a school teacher, and uh, during the summer, I would suggest, hey, why don't you do something, you know, during the summer when you're not working to help with our budget, you know, so that you're not spending money that's in our budget, that we have budgeted. And uh, she said, one day, she said, well, what, what could I do? And I said, I don't know. What do you like to do? And she said, well, I like to cook. And I said, well, there you go. Cook. Cook baked pies, baked cookies. Someone, you know, will buy those in a restaurant or something. And uh, after I got laid off, she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, <laughs> well, um, I've been kind of thinking about it. And I thought about maybe you're getting ready to go back to school. I thought about maybe cooking. And she said, you know nothing about cooking. And I said, but I'm teachable. So that's basically how I started um, in, the, in the food business and cooking. She uh, gave me a two-week crash course, and 16 years later, here we are. That's awesome. And Katie? 
Um, so I, my husband and I lived in Nashville until a couple years ago, and I actually was introduced to Pure Bar um, by one of his teammates, Cortland Finnegan, who was a co-owner of the Pure Bar um, studios in Nashville. So we actually met at Steeplechase, <laughs> a horse race. We were there, and um, the owner-operator, Katie Decker, she introduced me to the workout, and I was already doing a little bit of training um, with CrossFit, so just doing some exercise training, and she had an opportunity for a teacher, said that I might fit the role. I'd never taken a class. I'd always heard it was super hard, so even though I was up lifting weights in the morning and running miles and miles, I was terrified of this workout that utilized a ballet bar, so um, I ended up going to training to teach just a couple weeks after I met her. I'd only taken two classes. I drove to Lexington, Kentucky with the two girls that ended up opening the Memphis studio, and I was such a fish out of water. I mean, I didn't like to hear my voice over the microphone. I didn't want anyone to ever look at me. I didn't like it. I was, you know, it really did get me out of my comfort zone. Um, but I loved the workout. It was the most challenging thing I've ever done mentally and physically. I, I felt like I could see results in two weeks. Um, I was seeing results from my friends were saying, you look different. And I just fell in love with the community of Pure Bar. We're music-driven, which is something that's really unique to us. We don't count by reps or sets, but it's more of the eight count. So it gives an energy that's second to none. Um, and just the, the community of women that have been able to, to see their bodies changing, their lives changing, was really what want, kept me going with Pure Bar, regardless of what else I did. Um, getting my master's and working uh, in cardiac rehab at the hospital in Nashville, I still taught Pure Bar on the side. I wanted it to be my full-time job. But I never knew how that was going to work out. It's really fun to hear how entrepreneurs get started because, like, I just happen to be the youngest person at a nonprofit, and so I got stuck doing social media. Yeah, it's worked out pretty good. So, so, um, so, Katie, you're the only person up here that's involved with a franchise. Now, for me, my lack of liking rules makes that sound like a terrible idea to join a franchise. But you, what, what do you like and what do you not like about being part of a franchise? Okay, so I've told a couple of people this today. Um, I think that what I want all of you to leave with is that if you have a goal to be an entrepreneur, that you're going to look at me and say, if she can do it, so can I. Because I have no background in business marketing, ad advertising, anything that has to do with owning a successful business. However, I, I had been a successful pure bar teacher and been around the workout and the technique long enough that I, I knew that I loved that and I knew I was passionate about that. So that's what allowed me to know that it's something I wanted to do for a career. So I'll start with that. Um, what's cool about a franchise is that they really do give you a step-by-step -step guide to opening and being successful. When I started with Pure Bar, there were about 20 franchises in the country. Um, Pure Bar Nashville opened and there were only six others in the country. And now I think our studio was the 405th franchise and there's 467 currently open today so it's really taken a huge jump in growth solely because it works and the brand has become really strong across the nation um, but they they when I was approved to open which it's kind of interesting because I knew back around 2012 I wanted to own a pure bar um, we looked into St. Louis Knoxville Oxford all over and I thought is it really worth moving my family to a town I know no one to open a business um, and I kept thinking you know Jackson's not big enough it won't work there it was only in primary markets well then it started to open in some some secondary and tertiary markets and when Pure Bar in Murfreesboro opened I thought that's Jackson essentially you know it's uh, the same demographics same population really and I started to think how can I bring this home 
So that was one thing about the franchise is that I wanted to open it, but I didn't want to open it anywhere unless I had roots there and a reason to be there other than just with my business. Um, so it was funny, though, in my interview process, they did not ask me, nor did they care if I had a business degree, if I'd ever owned a business, if I had any management experience. They really were just um, focused on knowing that I was passionate about the workout, knew people in the town, I believed in the market, and they really believed in Jackson, too, which I was excited. They said, we think it's a strong market, we think you'll do well there, and we've already looked into it. Um, so they essentially had someone in every single area of, of the process, as far as um, someone that had scoped out the town, said, this is where we want it. You know, they had someone that helped with my layout of the, of the studio, um, that, that worked with our contractors that they could talk to, you know, had someone that helped me with my initial orders for my retail, I had someone help me send my girls to training. So I had people calling me and just kind of checking in and literally had a sheet that was check, 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 do this, step one, step two, step three. So it made it possible for anybody, even me, and even you. Um, but it was, it was nice because I don't know that I would have, I wouldn't have had that support nor the knowledge to become successful right away without that, that super strong corporate support. And those are great points because I'm still looking for that checklist. If anybody has one, uh, email to me. But have there been some downsides to being uh, – and, and, you know, we can – if Pure Bar's listening, she doesn't mean any of this. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's, it is it – is, you are essentially under the umbrella of someone that's bigger than yourself. Um, and sometimes – Corporate's goals are different than mine in studio, and sometimes it kind of feels like we're competing against ourselves. For instance, they came out with an online streaming um, of our class, and and I th it had nothing really to do with our in-studio sales. And I thought, why are you going to take my people? You know, they sent in a large mass email out to all my clients and offered this new thing that they could do from home. And I was like, man, you know, we worked hard for those people, and here they go just saying, just do it at home. So I've had to kind of say, but the in-studio experience is way better. You know, it feels kind of like... We're still trying, it's like we're trying to pull them back in and since in, in that, you know, but they tell us it's more improving brand awareness and everything. So some of those things as owners, we're like, wait a minute, D you know, just don't do too much. You're good. Just keep the people in our studios. But um, also just, uh, you know, there can, everything that happens in Pure Bar is all the way across the nation. We want to be super consistent. We want our clients to be able to go to L.A., Miami, Dallas, Memphis, anywhere in the country and feel like they're at home. They're, they're comfortable just like they are in the Jackson studio. So that's nice, but um, it's kind of just figuring out what works for you as well, but with staying consistent. So that can get a little hairy sometimes. But. Awesome. Thank you. And now, Ben, when we were doing show prep, you showed this awesome talk, talk to me about niches and how that was very specific and helpful for your business. Because you're not just a caterer, like I was thinking you did at weddings and stuff, but that's the opposite. So why don't you tell, talk to us about finding your niche? Well, sometimes it's my opinion that uh, sometimes you create your own niche based upon demand. Um, a lot of people, when they meet me or they hear about our business, they think, oh, catering company, so y'all do weddings and you know events at the Civic Center and things like that, which we do some of that, but... Our weddings and events at the Civic Center, um, fundraising type events, usually those come from clients that we serve in other areas who happen to have a child that's getting married or you know, happen to be in charge of a fundraising event at the Civic Center. So what we did, I used my pharmaceutical background and I saw where pharmaceuticals had, pharmaceutical companies had a lot of demand for 
uh, lunches and, and things of that nature. Now, the great thing about corporate America is they tend to pay their bills. Um, <laughs> and usually they pay them with a corporate credit card, which means the money's in your bank account in about three days. So as a small business owner, cash flow is huge. And uh, I thought, man, this beats, you know, doing the birthday party on Saturday night that I might get paid and I might not. So what we started out doing is, is focusing on the corporate side of food service. So when people say catering company, your traditional catering company and the things that they think of when you use that term is typically not what Gourmet Your Way does. Um, like I said, we stick primarily to the corporate side of things. Sometimes we'll fall over into the personal side, but it's because of a corporate connection to a client that we have. Um, so we kind of feel like we saw a demand and created our own niche because, you know, even um, other co catering companies here in Jackson, we don't really feel like that's necessarily our competition. Um, our competition are maybe restaurants and people that, you know, corporations would go to to seek food service. With that being said, um, we have actually gone over into an area that is somewhat new to us. I call it institutionalized food service. Um, we run uh, a couple of campuses here in Jackson and do their, their school food lunches. Um, and so that has really been a good growing area for us, but it, as well, it's allowed us to utilize the knowledge that we have in our corporate food service and carry that to a different level over in uh, more of a school or hospital type setting. And, and I've, uh, something I've learned in my business that I think applies to yours, like when I first started, I was doing a lot of project-based stuff. So you'd have an income stream and a lot of work and then nothing. Um, but that gives you consistent cash flow, helps you keep staff on, um, gives you a lot of consistent consistency, right? Right, right. Another thing, like you said, with staff, you know, um, a lot of catering, private catering goes on on Friday, Saturday nights, weekends, and so you deal with a lot of part-time help, whereas with us, you know, we, we usually start each morning about 5, and um, we are steady throughout the day, Monday through Friday, and then occasionally we work weekends, but primarily Monday through Friday, which allows us to find help and find labor and then offer them full, full a lot of them full-time work which is very different for a catering company now lisa garner most of you may know her in her day job as the executive director of the co and who's been to the co those of you that aren't raising your hand which is very few of you Hi. you should go now lisa you have this the, you're the only one here that's doing this as a side hustle yes. how does having a side hustle help you be a better employee at the co yeah I think probably it's unique with my position at the Co being an entrepreneur center. Um, for me, going through all these things, seeing ways that I'm trying to connect with customers, I'm trying to figure out pricing strategies, I'm trying to do all these things myself. So when people come in and they have questions about those, I can say, I'm right there with you. I thought through that. Let me, let me tell you some things I've tried. Um, so that, it really complements a lot of what I'm doing. I think uh, Ben Ferguson's over here, but I, I think that they would agree that in a lot of ways, <laughs> um, having this and having me do this side hustle does just kind of enrich my position at the co. Um, but yeah, I, I also think, and I want to go ahead and say this because I've had several people say now that I guess a lot of people haven't really known about Garner Blue and they're finding more about me doing it. And they're like, so what's with the co? Are you still going to do that? Yes. I don't really have any goal to have this side hustle be a full-time hustle. Um, it's a very much of a creative outlet for me. It makes money, yes, it's awesome, I love it. Um, but for right now, 
maybe for the foreseeable future, I love what I get to do at the Cove, to work with people who are starting a new business, starting a new project, all sorts of creative projects. So um, it really, it helps that. Yeah, and so what would you say to that person who has something they like to do on the side? Maybe it's a crafty thing, um, but they're not sure they want to charge for it or they're not sure how to charge for it. What would, and I haven't prepped you for this question, yeah, but, yeah. but what would you, what would you say to that person? Because, because uh, there's a lot of people who have something they like to do yeah. on the side, but maybe are afraid that um, it's going to distract from the rest of their life or they're, they don't want to, they want to make a little bit of money at it. You know, what, yeah. what would you say to that person? Well, I think for me, I know on the front end, initially when I started um, making some things, I started with one product. It was a woven cotton scarf and I made a couple, gave them to friends and family. But at some point to keep doing what I was doing, it was going to have to make some money. Like I couldn't just keep spending money on this stuff. And then what do I do with this cool scarf that I made? So selling it and creating, you know, a business, whether it was really, it was really small starting out, you know, but creating something that does make money with it, even if it's just to sustain your craft, is, is a really great idea. Um, making a solid product, and, and at the beginning, you know, you're kind of learning what you're doing, but making a solid product that people want to buy is, it's really, it's a, it's a great thing. So, yeah, I don't know can, if that answered that and, question. And you can learn a lot of business fundamentals that you can take into your workplace. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the, another thing that came up in show prep with you, Ben, was talking about risk management. Now, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not an insurance and so, like, the words risk management just go over my head. But, like, you were talking about it. So help us understand when you're thinking about risk management, how does it apply to people in their businesses? Well, to me, one of the greatest characteristics uh, that you can have as a small business owner is really focusing on, like I said, risk management. Basically, when I look at an opportunity or when I look at our business, um, I weigh it out. Uh, I go through in my mind, and lots of times on paper, um, worst-case scenario, best case scenario as on, as an entrepreneur a lot of people want to focus on well man look what this could do look at you know the profits that this can make and look at the volume that this could do over 16 years i felt like and, and i still feel like today that the best thing i can do is look at the worst case scenario and then see if i can live with that worst case scenario that's basically i do that on a daily basis um both with the catering company and then with other things that, that I look at and, and work in. Um, I do some house flipping and, and uh, do some real estate types of things and I always look at the worst case scenario and then I put that question up of can I live with that worst case scenario. I feel like if you do that and you manage that risk before you actually make the decision, um, lots of times the, the outcome can be a lot better than you know maybe you, you anticipated. So uh, for me, risk management is a huge part of my daily basis of what I do. I think those are really wise words for anybody who's considering going into your own business. Now, Katie, what would you say the biggest thing, most important thing you've done for your business has been? Um, let's see. So I was thinking about this last night, and I just said, well, opening it was probably the best thing that I did um, because I weighed and thought on it I, for years, you know, and it was always a dream. And it's one of those things when it doesn't leave your head and you can't stop thinking about it, you got to go for it. And I didn't know how it was going to work, how all the different aspects were going to come together. But over time, things started to fall into place when the time was right. Um, I'm thankful that I had five solid years of teaching and managing studios in Nashville because it's only helped me here. I felt very comfortable with the day-to-day -day operations of running the studio. However, owning the actual business is a whole other animal, which is just, I'm still learning 19 months in. 
Um, but yeah, opening here in Jackson for sure as my hometown with roots and friends and and just the community that we have here. I don't think that it would have been as easy or even as successful in another city, even if it was bigger with more people. It wouldn't be the strong net community that we have at our Pure Bar in Jackson. Um, and then early on, I guess, just as far as sales go, we we really pushed a 12-month membership for our, our clients right when they started taking class. Last year, we had a grand opening and just kind of really said, you need to do the 12-month membership. It's the best option. It's the you know best deal long-term, and it committed them to an entire year of our first year, so it was a, I was able to project sales. Um, it it was really um, a huge turnout. Even Purar called and said, we can't believe your numbers from your grand opening party. We've, it's one of the highest we've had in the country. So I was just really proud of our town early on, and we were competing with all those big cities. A lot of people don't give us enough credit, and um, that was that was cool. So, yeah, just getting people to commit early on, too, was helpful. And that goes back to that cash flow thing, like with that, that knowing that income. Cash flow is incredibly important as a small business owner. Ben, we're going to come back to you because Lisa has, like, the opposite answer, kind of. So, like, Lisa, what was the most important thing you did for your business? Um, okay, so there's two things. One of them was I think a lot of people think, you know, you're doing the side hustle, you're making stuff. You should just stick close to home and try to sell things right here in your area. And for me, I said I want to. I want my markets to be – I want to think outside of Jackson. So I focused on – um, applying to curated markets like in Nashville, Memphis, Atlanta, Chicago. This weekend I'm heading to D.C. for a market. So focusing on going to some of those other places and pulling in customers and bringing people to know about my brand in places outside of Jackson I think was really smart for me. Um, and not that I you know, don't still love and try to connect with people here, but I think on the front end trying to do some of those things was real smart. I think the other thing was um, – also, something that you, you make at home, sometimes that can get hokey, and, you know, it's this homemade thing, and I made this thing for you, and what do you think about it? And um, So, <laughs> on the front end, um, it was really important to me. I'm a graphic design person. That's my background, to have a solid brand and solid packaging. So, when I went out to these markets, everything has a tag. Everything is, it's all ready for if it's going to be stocked in someone else's shop or if you're going to give someone it as a gift, it feels like this professional item that you've gotten and you can gift. It doesn't feel like something that, you know, your Aunt Betsy made in her kitchen. But I make it in my kitchen, so. Ah. <laughs> That's awesome. And Ben, most important thing you've done for your business? Well, um, I want to say something. Uh, when you were talking about going out of, you know, your market area and all, I think it's really important, and, and I guess this is one of the things that I've tried to keep in mind when I started my business is that think outside the box, you know. Um, when people come to you and say, oh, well, you need to do it this way, or you need to market to these people, take that in consideration, but think outside the box because sometimes we as society get so hung up on, well, let me see how so-and-so did it, and to me, the creativity and, and the productivity of thinking outside the box and coming up with different ways and different strategies of, of doing your work can many times make all the difference. Um, the most important thing that I've done with my business, uh, my opinion, is number one, hiring really good people. It's the most important, and then it's the hardest, without a doubt. Um, 
I have one really good person that I hired here, and she's gone on to do bigger, big and better things and, and been very successful. But hiring good people is really, really important. And then number two is uh, changing with your business. No one likes change. I'm the same way. Um, you know, anytime someone comes to me and says, hey, we ought to do it this way. And I'm like, no, this is the way I said we need to do it. And it's because I said it. That's the way we got to do it, you know. You really need to change with your business. So as your business grows, as uh, the demand grows, as your customer might change, you need to be willing to change as well. And that's usually a difficult thing, but it usually benefits the business. Absolutely. Now, Katie, now the next question is not literally what keeps you up at night. Like uh, Donnie's <laughs> snoring. Uh, <laughs> um, but other than uh, Coach Nikki snoring, what else uh, – And Maybe not literally keeps you up at night, but what do you worry about about your business? What keeps you up at night about that? You know, for me, thinking over this question, I I just think of a lot of people, you know, they come in and they tell me their goals and they tell me their, their dreams and what they want for themselves. And a lot of times, you know, that's obviously, um, you know, weight loss goals or, or body things or mental, you know, less stress, more energy, whatever it is. And I hear them, and I'm excited for them. And a lot of times that happens, and I see the change, and I see the transformation right before my own eyes. And then a lot of times I never see them again, you know. So it just, those kinds of people that I get so excited about. I had a lady come in, and she had not been on the floor and back up because of two total knees in a year. So after her first class, she completed the whole class, she, she couldn't get back up. And she all of a sudden did this, like, roll spin move and jumped up to her feet. And she was in tears, and we were all just so excited for her. And she had a big goal to wear this red dress that she had bought years ago. And, you know, we were just excited. And we, and we wanted her to just keep going. And about two weeks in, you know, we haven't seen her in a few months. Not to say she'll never come back because I don't ever give up on anyone. But I think about those people a lot. And that really weighs on me because I want it for them just sometimes more than they do. And I think that's what makes, you know, our studio successful is all of our, our teachers. We just care a lot about who we're teaching and we want to see them achieve goals and have wins, and we want to celebrate with them. So I just kind of think of all the goals that were set out loud in that studio that haven't been met yet, and so that's what kind of keeps me going um, every day. But, yeah, I said, Donnie, we, he's, we've gotten that under control lately, so it's been good. <laughs> I've gotten better sleep. <laughs> well, the thing that uh, keeps me up at night, um, one – being an entrepreneur and, and being a small business owner, um, I feel lots of responsibility, I guess, to, to those that work for me and their families. Um, I think about that a lot and, and kind of feel a pressure on my shoulders, you know, of, of carrying that on so that, you know, when you've got people working for you, especially full time, um, they depend on you. They depend on you to be there. They depend on the business to do well. And um, they depend on a paycheck every Friday. And then their kids depend on that. And so I, I, I think into that a lot and, uh, you know, bear that responsibility. Um, another thing that I guess keeps me up, one funny thing is, and it doesn't happen as much, I guess, now because I've, I've gotten older, but uh, I used to wake up, I mean, once a week, and I would jump up and it'd be like 2 o'clock in the morning and I'd be like, oh, no. I left that in the oven, it's burned, and now these people are going, you know, or did I forget that lunch? And, and that, that used to happen a lot just because, I guess, of the stress of, we, you know, we do a lot of events each day, and, and 
just one little detail and 50 people might not eat lunch, you know. So I uh, used to have a few nightmares about that. And then uh, the last thing that really keeps me up, I guess, is the drive. Most really good entrepreneurs uh, in the history of, of small companies and even big companies, um, your Steve Jobs and guys like that, you all have been to a dog or, or seen a, a, a dog track where, you know, that rabbit is going around the ring and uh, the, the dogs are chasing that rabbit and they never actually catch it, but they keep on running, you know. A good entrepreneur chases the rabbit every day, uh, every year. And, you know, I, I go in and sometimes in January and I've made the statement, statement and Alexis might remember this. I'll say, well, this year we're not going to keep up with what we did last year. We're just going to do the very best that we can, and, and what happens, happens. And then about two weeks into the year, you're like, hey, where were we last year? Um, <laughs> it's chasing the rabbit. You're always um, trying to do bigger and better things. You're always setting new goals. You're always comparing yourself, you know, this year versus last year, this week versus last week. And when you see a drop, you're like, oh, my gosh, what happened? What did I do wrong? And so that um, – just drive of, of never being complacent and always wanting to set a new goal and seek different things uh, sometimes keeps me up at night. Yeah, mine's kind of along that line. I mean, being the side hustle, this isn't like, you know, this isn't like we need this income from this market to be able to pay bills at our house or anything like that. Um, but it's just more, I have really high expectations for myself and, and for the brand. And so I put those out there. I've got goals and and I want to meet them. And so, you know, sometimes I'll wake up at night because there's just a million things that I've got going. And, you know, the full-time job is is a lot, and I love it, and it's just got a lot there. And then Garner Blue, there'll be, you know, this market or this thing that I'm getting ready for, and, oh, I've got to remember this, this last-minute thing to do and to make. So um, it's just that stuff. But, you know, sometimes I have to remind myself that it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Unprepared for question. Um, one thing that uh, our culture talks about a lot is work-life balance. And we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I know as an entrepreneur, I struggle with work-life balance. And, like, the next three weeks of my life, like, I'm sorry, Renee, but, like, I'm not going to see you that much. Like, there's so much going on. But So how do you guys um, each, very quickly, do you struggle with that? Do you, do you have a good balance? What, how does that work? Whoever wants to go first. I feel like, okay, so I don't have kids. I am married. My husband's a musician. He travels a good bit of the time. He's a very creative guy. So he understands all of the things that I am doing right now. Um, I also feel like I'm kind of at like a sweet spot in life where I love my full-time job and I love my side hustle and all these creative things that I get to do. So I feel like even though so much of my time is, is work and is just really going and going and going, I think that's okay because I think that's this season, and so that's that's fine. This this works well for us right now, so it's um, not balanced, but it's okay. <laughs> Mine has has never been balanced. I don't know that it'll ever be balanced. Um, I work a lot, and and you know a lot of entrepreneurs that I know and um, small business owners. It's just kind of it goes with the territory and. Um, I've heard before you got to be the hardest working guy uh, in your market or in your area to succeed. And I would pretty much agree with that. I have that same type of philosophy. Um, and I've always kind of in the back of my mind said, well, I'll just outwork anybody that, you know, tries to compete with us or um, 
So I probably am not a very good person to ask that question about balance, but I will say this. At 42 um, and 16 years down the road, I think that the balance is becoming better. Um, I've got a one-year-old, and uh, she has really brought a lot of balance to our life uh, because we have three older children. And um, as I get older and as I learn to turn over responsibility, um, and I think all business owners should, should learn to do that at some point, um, that balance somewhat starts to swing towards, you know, family and all. But working for yourself, um, you got to have that mentality of no one's going to outwork me, you know. Yeah. 100-hour a week, not any, not any unusual thing. Um, for me, I have better balance now after we've been open over a year. The first year I was there almost every class, every day. We have 36 classes a week, seven days a week, and I felt like I needed to be there at all times just to be there in case something happened. But I had to let go of the reins and allow my staff to do their jobs and learn. And, you know, if they had anything, I say, just leave me a note. Nothing has to happen in that moment unless, you know, the lights are out and the microphone doesn't work and the music's not playing or something. But I've just gotten more comfortable in trusting my employees. Um, I told someone earlier one of the hardest things was not being there for the 5.30 a.m. classes because, you know, here I am sleeping and I'm like, I hope, I hope they're there. I hope there's not 20 clients standing outside the door. And that took some, that, that would be another thing that, that kept me up, just nervous. I'd wake up and we have a security alarm that goes off and I get a text. So I'm like, okay, they're there and I can go back to sleep. Um, <clears throat> but <laughs> unless I'm teaching it, which I don't try to often. I don't like that time of day. Um, but because Donnie's snoring all night, so I don't get a lot of sleep. So, um, but for me, you know, we have a crazy, a crazy life. Just my husband's football a lot and and we just we do what works for us we might go eat dinner in the field house or they the kids would come and run around the studio and play with our equipment while I do some work on the computer um but we knowing now that my my girls are okay when I'm not there we do have a big window of time that we don't have classes going on so I don't have to physically be in my studio all the time so I can do a lot from home so I'm able to have my kids there whether I'm giving them undivided attention or not I'm still with them um, that's one thing I do struggle with is if I get an email that a client's having trouble with her account and can't sign up for classes, I have to fix it right then. I try to just do a little bit at a time. You know, my things that take me hours and hours, I usually do in the in the middle of the day when my kids are at school. So, and then when I come home, I, you know, I try to say, this can wait and do it tomorrow and, and give my time to my family at night. What's, uh, let's start with Lisa. What's coming up next for Garner Blue? Yeah. So a really fun thing that's coming up next, um, who is familiar with the local? Raise your hands, raise your hands. So many of you, awesome. So the local are micro retail spaces that are going in downtown. Um, the grand opening is this Saturday from 10 to six. You guys need to stop by there. Garner Blue will have a shop in the local. So um, I'm actually sharing the space with Trista Havner. She, her brand is Hub City Love. She does hand-painted wood signs. Um, and the other part of the space is my stuff. So Garner Blue, but also it's a combination of Garner Blue plus Jackson pop-up shops. For the last few years, I've been doing seasonal pop-up events throughout downtown. Um, they've been awesome. They're so fun. We'll still do a Yuletide market event that will be November 25th and 26th of the New Southern. 
Um, but this is a permanent home for Garner Blue, plus some of the brands that have sold really well at the past pop-up shops. So it's all handmade items. Um, jewelry, journals, candles, all sorts of great stuff um, will be in the Garner Blue shop. We will be open Wednesday, well, after this Saturday, our grand opening. We'll be open Wednesday, 10 to 3, Friday, 1 to 6, and Saturday, 10 to 3 as well. Um, so that's, that's been the biggest, like, fun thing that's been going on that I've hardly been sleeping over. <laughs> uh, Katie, what's next for you guys? Um, so for us, um, what's what's interesting about Pure Bar today is the first, let's see, it, it started in 2001. I didn't give you guys too much of a background, but I started in 2010, and we had one class, and it was called Pure Bar, and it was a 50-minute or 55-minute class that worked every muscle in the body to fatigue, and then we stretched to music, a motivating instructor, and that was that was it. You came, you chose your class time, and you did Pure Bar. Well, in August, we created, or Pure announced a new class offering <laughs> called Empower, and it's more cardio-based. So we wear ankle and wrist weights, and you do more things to get your heart rate up, burn more calories, um, still some strength aspects, but more so for the cardio benefits. And so now, which is also, it's just so crazy because it's been the same for so long, but now they are trying to keep up with the markets and, and kind of be more of a one-stop shop for everyone because every, fitness is a little cooler these days and people enjoy it more than they used to, I guess. Um, we're actually going to offer a Pilates class that is going to be mimicking a mega reformer and we'll be able to fit 15 people into the class and it will be all to music. So a little more exciting than maybe just getting on the reformer. Um, so that is going to be definitely a new exciting thing for us and it will be in the spring and that's it for now. So we'll have three class offerings, um, more class times, more instructors, you know, more options for everybody that goes. You can do one to two classes a day. You can just, you know, just kind of be something that you don't have to bounce around as much to other places. Very cool. Good staying up and, you know, evolving your business to meet the market. Ben? Well, um, Gourmet Your Way will continue to grow, uh, I hope, over the next however many years and, and We'd like to expand more in the institutionalized catering in schools and maybe hospital market and that kind of thing. Um, but as for me, uh, at 42, back in January, we take off a few a few weeks during the Christmas and January holiday. I try to, try to take that time to really think about where it is we're going, maybe set goals and so forth. And um, this past year, I made a decision that uh, I'm going to do this for 10 more years. I'll be 52 at the time, and um, so I fortunately had some really great mentors when I was growing up that I worked with, um, some really good uh, business folks that I, I got to see, and, and a, lot of the, a lot of these guys did the exact same thing. They, they realized, and I think as a good leader, you realize um, when it's time to exit the stage, and for me, I feel like this is a young man's sport, uh, what we do in the food business. And at 42, I'm not uh, a young man anymore. And at 52, I really won't be a young man. So um, I decided that in about 10 years, uh, I'm going to exit from the food business. At the same time, I want Gourmet Your Way to continue, and I think we've got a really good foundation to do that. And so uh, I've actually talked with some people that have worked for me for, for quite a while now, and ask them if they would be interested in doing a um, purchase. And so we'll start that process in the next few years and uh, 
over a 10-year period, I will gra gradually step back, and they will um, continue to take over and, 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 you know, have their own business. And I think they're young enough. They're in their 20s, and so they're young enough that they could hopefully do the same thing when they, you know, get in their 40s or 50s and they've had a good career at this. Um, maybe they can have someone that in the business that they could do the same thing with. Um, I won't retire. I don't know that I'll ever retire because I really enjoy working and I really enjoy being around people. So uh, I'm in 10 years going to start off in a new direction and um, um, go in a different area. So That's really neat and well thought out. All right, now we're going to enter our time of question and answers, questions from the audience, um, and I think this can get really fun. And so um, Alexis is going to be coming around with a microphone. Um, so who's got questions for our panel? Someone, please. All right. All right. First question, AJ. Hey, guys. Uh, banker question here. Um, a lot of us in the room have ideas. Probably most people in the room have ideas. Um, I know each of you is going to be very unique in this answer, but what kind of cash did you need? What kind of what kind of capital did you need to get things started? Did you have a starting point? Did it just kind of evolve overnight? Uh, because you know, if I'm sitting on a thousand bucks, is that enough to start my dream, or do I need more? I'll answer that first because I I don't know. Um, franchises usually have a, a typical startup um, can be a little more depending on what market you're in, but generally, I knew what I needed for equipment build out. Um, and all that. So initially we started to um, go SBA route and I worked with Drew a little bit and then eventually it turned into me deciding to use investors. Um, and that was just the right thing for us at the time. You know, 10 years from now, we might have we might have done it a little different and, it, and I did leave room for a few tweaks here and there, but um, I do have a team that was able to put up the capital and so instead of borrowing it from a bank, um, we all shared the equity, so that was that was a little easier. I kind of backfired on AJ a little bit. <laughs> um, for me, I uh, I basically started out with less than a thousand dollars. Well, I don't think she'll mind. Anita K. Archer uh, with the Bank of Jackson actually was a pie partner in education at Arlington Elementary, where my teacher, my wife, taught school. And um, my, Anita Kay found out that we had been doing some thinking about doing some cooking and catering and so forth. And Anita Kay said, you need to do this. Of course, Anita Kay was, was very encouraging and supportive. And <laughs> so she, she met with us one day and said, y'all really need to do this. And I said, well, how, you know, how do we do this, Anita Kay? Like, like you said, there's no book or I haven't found a book that said step one and two. So um, Anita Kay said, open an account at the Bank of Jackson, and I said, okay. So we had $500. We took out $500, put it in a, an account, called it Gourmet Your Way, and um, from that point on, I told Paige, I said, when the 500 runs out, we're out of business. <laughs> and uh, so 16 years later, um, it didn't run out. It still hasn't run out. And for me, and, and what we did, because we started small, and we actually started in our home, um, we basically would, would take that 500, buy food, cook it, sell it, take the money, put it back in the bank, buy food, and just on and on and on. So we actually never really set up any kind of um, lending or, or, you know, borrowed money because even my vendors today, 
Uh, they still come in two or three times a week. They deliver their product. They get a check. We send them right back out. It's just the way we we were able to grow, you know, financially with the with the company, but never actually borrowed money and started it on five hundred dollars. My startup costs were really small too. Um, materials and then you know things to set up at a market to where it could look professional. So a couple thousand dollars. I actually did a no interest credit card for the first year, and um, just planned to pay it off by the end of the year and did easily, and so no debt as well. One of the things I liked about my business was that I didn't have any capital costs. I had a laptop, and I later bought a camera. But yeah, we've we've you know Adelsberg Marketing's grown all cash flow the whole way too. All right. My question is for Lisa because uh, I'm a side hustle guy as well. So I'm curious as to what were the most important things that you would say that helped you to take Garner Blue from being a hobby to that next level? I think. Um I think for one was kind of going out and realizing that people wanted to purchase what I was making. You know, I think initially, you know, you make especially something that you're making from home, it's a creative thing and still is a creative thing. And so initially when I, you know, family and friends are always so encouraging. That's awesome. And you need that. But then to go to the first market and have people that I didn't know coming up and buying things and saying like, oh, okay, so other people do want this. Um, and then going out and just, just kind of seeking and applying for other markets and trying to get in there and, and then having that work. Um, one cool thing that started really early on, um, West Elm has this program they call West Elm Local, and they actually feature local artisans in their store. So um, pretty early on, maybe six eight, six, eight months into what I was doing, I got this random email that I totally thought was a hoax, and it wasn't a hoax. They wanted to carry some Garner Blue in the West Elm in Nashville. Um, and that's been a really neat kind of like legitimizing thing. I didn't seek out, but what I did seek were the markets and the, the areas that connected them to me. So I think going and trying to find those places where you're going to be able to put your product or I don't know what your what it is, um, but put that out there so that people you get the opportunity to get feedback from beyond just your, your close buddies and your family. Um, it's interesting to hear from you all that um, there isn't really a lot of business background that y'all have and um, so I'm really curious about what do you think was the best piece of advice that you gave you were given uh, when you were growing your businesses and if there wasn't really any kind of like one thing um, that you heard then what was the biggest influence uh, kind of in your market I guess besides yourself oh yeah um, <laughs> I, I have this canned answer so like I have three people um, Seth Godin uh, is a great marketing mind. He kind of gave me permission to do cool things, and I sometimes do that. Uh, Dave Ramsey gave me the financial freedom that I could take that chance, and then Gary Vaynerchuk has really helped me, inspire me to the hustle that I've got to have to work harder than anybody else, which is not exactly true, but, like, work extremely hard to do that. And those are, like, three, not, like, individuals. But then I was also really good friends with people like uh, Bob Campbell. Many of you knew Bob Campbell, and he was a mentor to me, and... and he had owned his own business, and that was really inspiring to me. A few months in, um, so I'm going to talk about the co here because we're an entrepreneur center. Um, but a few months into doing Garner Blue, I did a program that we were just starting called Co-Starters. It's a nine-week boot camp for people starting business. Um, and that was really helpful for me. My position at the co, you know, was operations manager, and I was already like, what am I doing at this entrepreneur center? I don't understand this stuff at all. Um, I can do some of the other stuff with this business words, you know. So going through that program, 
was really helpful for me to think through like pricing strategies and so many of those things that I wouldn't consider myself to have automatically been great at. Um, so that's a program that we still offer. We're starting it in a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, that was something that was really helpful for me. For me, I had, um, like I said earlier, uh, really good mentors, um, Robert Alderson and Carl Kirkland, um, great business minds that as a young kid, I got to spend a lot of time with and really just watch and and see how they conducted business and how they made decisions and um, made a huge impact in my life. And um, I had some great teachers, uh, Roy Weaver, former superintendent of the school system here, uh, great mentor to me. Um, a guy named Bill Woods, he's a farmer out in the Oakfield community. Uh, he and Wesley Clipfell, uh, Wesley owns a cottage farm genetics here in town with Dr. Stonecipher. I promise you there's not anybody in Madison County that works as hard as those guys. And um, from an early age, I was taught um, hands-on work ethic. And um, so some great business minds, some great guys that uh, really taught me work ethic and just uh, that nothing's really impossible. If you, if you have the work ethic, a positive attitude, uh, start the day off right each day that, you know, you can achieve anything. So. I feel like I'm still waiting to meet that person that is going to tell me what to do because it hasn't happened yet. Um, I still feel incredibly unqualified, and every day I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's working somehow. So, again, hopefully you'll all be inspired that you can do this too. Um, it, you know, For me, it just goes back to what I'm selling. My brand is so strong that really it's foolproof. You know, But um, one thing that I do love about Pure Bar is I've got a lot of great friends that are owners, that started as teachers. I think in Nashville alone, we have 13 owners just from our group of teachers that started there that I can call on the phone and say, hey, you know, I've got a client issue or I am wondering what kind of Christmas special to do. We've got a holiday mart next week. Do you have any good ideas? Um, I, I, we have a Facebook group with 400 of us that are owners and I can just search an issue or an idea and read from all of these ladies that have been doing this 10 years, one month, if, you know, and just get their perspective. They say what works, what doesn't work. Um, and then, of course, I have to take that and make it my own. It's still a lot of trial and error. But at, as far as just being business-minded, I'm i still just a, an exercise instructor at heart. And I'm like, I don't I – I wish I had more knowledge. I do read, you know, books and try to get better at that. But at the end of the day, um, I just do what I know. And, and I try to inspire people to come try the workout and to fall in love with the workout. And then from there, the business grows. we got time for one more quick question. Hello. Uh, I basically just have a quick question to all three of you. Uh, I am a new uh, owner of the eGamers Cafe. We just opened up two months ago, and we are a new concept within Jackson. We are a gaming place you know, with computers and consoles as well as a human cafe. So I'm just wondering, because uh, we have a lot of people who come by, they take pictures. They don't really stay because, to me, I believe it's just new and they don't know, like, change, for instance. So, for me, is what's your advice on how to get the attention of those people who are afraid to try something new? Well, I like to um, – I don't know much about the gaming business. As I said, I'm, I'm 42, so <laughs> – <laughs> um, but I would – I like to break down any kind of situation or problem that, that, you know, I have in my business. And I, I like to answer, you know, the whys and the whens and the hows. And, you know, it sounds like to me that if they are coming in, 
okay? You're generating interest, but what's actually keeping them from, from staying and, and basically spending money and, and um, doing business with you? So I would really focus on that and analyze, you know, what is it that once they get in the door, they take the pictures and all, actually keeps them from sitting down and, and spending 30 or 45 minutes and, and break it down that way and try to answer some of those key questions of why, how, you know, when, timing, that kind of thing. And I think that you'll find some, some good answers that can give you some results that you're looking for. Yeah, things, things that we do, we do have a system in place for first-time clients. So we know kind of what we give them a key tag and say your first week's free. Try to take three classes this week. If you take three classes, you get $20 off your first month. And then during your first month, if you take 12 classes in that first month, which keeps them coming back, then you get 50% off your first package. So we have key tags that they can put on kind of uh, to keep, you know, keep reminding them. And then also we'll initial and every time they come in. Um, we're also working with a new email system that will actually automate, automatically send them an email out and they can click the offer. But I would just say um, that first-time client offering something that's going to be just for them that one time that they won't be able to get the next time, having some sort of giveaway in a jar, having their name and email that they write down and you'll win, you know, $10 off your first meal free, whatever it is. And then you'll have their email. That's huge. It's just collecting emails, not to bombard people, but to send out offers and promotions. Um, doing fun, special event nights to bring people in the door, especially early on, um, just to drive that traffic. And then you have to know what are you going to do with them when they're there that's going to keep them coming back. I would say one other quick thing is maybe find a couple people. The gaming thing, your concept, how you're doing it might be different than it's been implemented before, but there's like the Jackson Gaming League. There's, you know, there's people who kind of do that gaming thing. Maybe pick a couple of those to like be early ambassadors and like mobilize them to go on social media or wherever else to tell about the great experience that they had at your place. Social media would probably be huge. Um, I'm sure you do that anyway, but I know for us, didn't have a lot of experience with social media, and I still, you know, I'm, I'm kind of behind on those kind of things and forced <laughs> to do it, yeah. And uh, for, for me, someone, uh, I think a year ago, said, hey, let's give away a free dessert on Friday for anybody that likes, you know, whatever we put out. And so I thought, man, that's not going to work. Nobody's going to come over here on a Friday and pick up a dessert. Who cares about a free dessert? We had like 200 likes in the first hour, and I was like, so something like that can really not only help you hook them, but reel them in as well. All right. Well, that brings us to an end. So, so thank you, uh, crowd, for participating and being here. Thank you, Union University, to hosting us. Let's th thanks, Ron, in the back for helping us out with the recording today. Thank you to the Jackson Young Professionals. And thank you to Lisa, Ben, and Katie for joining us. Thank you for choosing to make Jackson home and helping to make it a better place.